Excellent. We're all here then. Hey! Hi. Uh, hi everyone, I'm Daniel. I'm Carrie. I'm Patrick. And welcome to the 1959 Oscars. This is If We Ran the Oscars. If I Ran the Oscars? What did we name this? It's if a I podcast. It's definitely a podcast. Uh, where we look at one Oscar winning film from each year it was on TV. And that the Oscars were that on the TV. Oscars were on TV. Uh, and we look at what it won its award for, as well as a few other categories chosen at random, so we get a wide breadth of filmmaking appreciation. Because we wanted to do something random, but we wanted to watch some good films. Yep. We've watched good films. We've watched good films. Mm-hmm. This one, definitely interesting. It's called I Want to Live. Well, you have to pronounce it with the exclamation point at the end. I want to live! I yeah. want to live! Definitely you has You try it. it. No. I, no. No, I can't be it. It's It's got the exclamation point at the end, like Mamma Mia. <laughs> but you didn't say that with an exclamation point. No, I didn't. No. The, the viewers at home have to hear it, Dan, because yeah, this here is a we podcast. Alright, uh, this film, 1958, and then, you know, one it's war in 59, biographical film noir. Very definitely noir. Yep. Directed by Robert Wise, who some of you may recognize from his other things that he's done. Good Night Moon? Well, he's won Academy Awards for things. Oh, but not for children's books? No, I don't think so. I don't okay. think that was him. Uh, he won uh, Best Director and Picture for two movies. Can you guess Ooh. what those two movies are Ooh. without looking them up? They were both in the 60s. Good Night Moon was written by Margaret Wise Brown. Yes. I'm totally mistaken. Yes. Well, might have been related. Two of. movies which contain music and are musical in nature. Like The Music Man? No. Like oh, West Side gosh. Story. Robert Wise. Oh. And The Sound of Music. Oh. He also was nominated for film editing of Citizen Kane and directing and publishing The Sand Pebbles, which was nominated for Best Picture. Wow. Oh. Uh, he is pretty good. Among his other films... The Body Snatcher, Born to Kill, The Setup, The Day the Earth Stood Still, Destination Gobi, This Could Be the Night, Run Silent, Run Deep, This Movie, The Haunting, The Andromeda Strain, The Hindenburg, and Star Trek The Motion Picture. Oh, wow. Okay. That's big. Did not know that. President of the Directors Guild from 71 to 75, President of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences from 85 to 88. Wow. Uh, yeah. No. D- he has some credits. This guy was influential in the 50s and 60s in the in the realm of cinema getting huh. stuff done not quite like the kick the door in do stuff like Spielberg is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but definitely if he was attached to your product it was a good thing so that's something i uh, main star Susan Hayward yep who will talk about her significantly right 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 i uh, Couple other most of the people in this film are character actors from the 60s, 50s through seventies. Recognizable right. characters. Recognizable. Well, for those of us that are older. For those of you who are older, well, you know, and right. watch TV or movies back then, you mm-hmm. definitely saw it. Since this is biographical, it is about a real person. Right. It is about the real person, Barbara Graham, who was convicted of murder and faced capital punishment. Now I can't. Do we want to tell everybody about this film? Do well, they want to watch it for themselves? Well, we can't. Maybe. I don't know on this one. Eh. Well, this one's eh. also, since it's biographical, it's like real world facts. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so, interestingly, and something that we do kind of have to talk about is the beginning and the end of this film have a little blurb from Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Ed Montgomery. He did not win the Pulitzer for this article. No, these he articles. was a Pulitzer Prize winner before he was. this story. 
1951 for writing a series of articles on tax fraud. Tax fraud. Oh, yes. boy. This was in 55... 50, yeah, 55. Uh, he was involved in two murder trials. He found the body of one Stephanie Bryan after being tipped by the killer who was posing as an automobile salesman. Great. And another Great. person was sentenced to death for the murder instead of the actual killer at the time. Oh, boy. That same year, he reported on Barbara Graham's execution. Now, interestingly, based on the film, and only on the film, because I've not told you about the real world. Yeah, well, I don't know about the real world at all. Do, since this film was about her try, you know, for the most of the film was about, you know, leading up to a crime, trial, mm-hmm. all that. Based on the film and the fact that it began and ended with, this is a factual story. Right. Do you think she did it? Do you think the evidence in the real world was sufficient? Oh, to convict her? Because in the in the film, I don't know if it's saying too much of a spoiler to say that the person who is accused of a crime says they didn't do the crime because that's mostly the plot of yeah. most crime things. Uh-huh. Um, I guess I was I was starting I felt for the main character for mm-hmm. Susan Hayward's character, so I, of course I thought she didn't do it. Yeah, yeah, she had she had a pretty good record of lying. Yeah, um, as a character, and mm-hmm. but Very true. but there were, and I don't think there they showed enough uh, of the evidence presented, mm-hmm. right, to be able to make that judgment, you know, as a juror, um, juror, juror viewer, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. but the the from an actor portrayal, she was pretty convincing. Yeah, Most, and she didn't seem yeah. like. She didn't seem like a character that would really have murder in her in her well, portfolio, if you will. Most of the facts of the trial and that's and the uh, subsequent execution, mm-hmm. those are factual. Okay. Up to and including her alibi bit. Okay. That's actually what happened. So she was uh conned into giving a false statement to a police officer who's yep. wearing a little mini microphone the mini which mi- is not mini the at mini all. microphone part that might have been extra but you know that part where she doomed her own case by putting her trust in someone and then being betrayed really hard uh-huh. and by by uh-huh. lying yeah by lying yeah. yes yeah yeah i uh, also the appeals and making her wait mm mm-hmm. mhm also factual. Wow. Mm-hmm. She is quoted at saying uh, at 1043 when the execution was stayed until 1130. She protested, why do they torture me? I was ready to go at 10. That's right. That's right. Hmm. Huh. Also, the line about how would you know? Something she actually said. Oh, sure. How the hell would you know, you silly rascal? Mm-hmm. Uh, the accuracy of the film has been brought into question by various uh, criminology writers and historians mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because the film does not the the film tries to make the film about the capital punishment system okay really like if, if you think about it the mm-hmm. ending is very mm-hmm. it gets very into the people doing it don't want to do it and everyone's trying to get her out of it and it's such a horrible thing. Right. And they're doing their jobs yeah. that they are supposed to be doing. Uh, there was a lot yeah. of time spent on prepping. Yeah. Also, a uh, third woman in the state of California to be executed by gas. Ever? 
Uh, or just the third ever, at that time. At the time, well, I mean, she would still have been the third if people did it after her. Oh, just I, you know, sometimes I have trouble with math. Yeah. The film also <laughs> suggests that Graham, though believed to have sociopathic tendencies, was rather merely self-destructive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, but that's from a 2020 hindsight. Yeah, you know, we can study this all we want. Yeah, the film mm-hmm. is generally considered to be very accurate in its depiction, called the California gas chamber function. Hmm. And we know that this is true because of production information. Really? Did yeah. they film it in a gas chamber? No, but they attended one to make sure it was accurate. Ew. I suppose that's doing your homework. Yep. The director attended a public execution at San Quentin. Hmm. Wow. Hayward commented after completing filming that her simulated experience of execution led her to believe the practice was medieval. Mm-hmm. Which, honestly, I think that's why a lot of people don't like it. <laughs> right. 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 Uh, hmm. So, interesting there. Also, fun fact about this movie, if we're not going to talk too much about it, which we will talk about it some, uh, the music. That was a real jazz combo. At the beginning and throughout, lots of stuff going on there. Right, right, right. There's definitely something about this. And where was it? Where was it? I definitely saw something about this. Wait for it. Dan's reading, people. I saw it earlier. There it is. By March 1959... Billboard noted that the popularity of the film and of the uh, jazz musicians' albums prompted a rush of jazz film scores and cited the signing of Duke Ellington to do the score for that year's Anatomy of a Murder, the release of The Five Pennies, a biopic about uh, jazz band leader Red Nichols, and a 1960 documentary Jazz on a Summer Day. Red Nichols is one of the performers, wasn't he? I don't think so. Ooh, I think so. He died in '65. Biography. I thought in the jazz combo. I know the well. The two guys who did the music was uh, the, the, the jazz combo performers. I thought that was one. I uh, Jerry Mulligan's jazz combo did some of the themes, and then there's Mr. Mandel. I look up Johnny Mandel. But the the. At the opening credits? Yeah, there were like a there was, six. Right, yeah. There was the jazz camera. Of course, it doesn't say named. who that was because this is before. No, everyone. they said. Like the six names of the people in the jazz camera. Yeah, that's why I thought that's the very beginning, Because this is still a little old school where they run a lot of credits. They did have credits the at the end again. Mm-hmm. Right, but they still had some mm, credits. We're having issues with, with Wi Fi, so I'm not looking at Yeah, our Wi Fi, we're still working on that. Good thing we don't need Wi Fi to record this thing. <laughs> so the main discussion for the day is best actress. I thought the main discussion of the day was a tie-in to Adam West Batman. Hmm. You did not mention this previously. That's because you were saving this I one for totally later. I was fixated on one of the character actors that I thought I know this guy from somewhere, and he was one of the police chief guys on the Adam West Batman. Is it the same guy that was on West Side Story, or is it a different guy? No, no, this, no. no. This is a guy. He was no, and I think he was a policeman in this film as well. But I got very distracted, and yes, in fact, I was right. He's from Adam West Batman. Wow. Anyway, I so now we can talk about yep. Susan Hayward because I've said my one yep. thing. Thank you. Good job. <laughs> I've contributed. I'm done. Susan Hayward. I worked as a fashion model. She traveled to Hollywood in 1937 to audition for the role of Scarlett O'Hara. Which she didn't get. She didn't get, I, because she was not in Gone with the Wind. Correct. By the late 1940s, the quality of her film roles had improved. She achieved recognition for her dramatic abilities with the first of five 
Academy Awards for Best Actress nominations. Yeah. Starting with Smash Up, The Story of a Woman. Subsequent nominations for My Foolish Heart with a Song in My Heart and I'll Cry Tomorrow. And then finally one with her fifth one, this movie. Hmm. Right. After her second marriage, and then she moved to Georgia, she stopped acting so much, mm-hmm. and she died at what? Yeah. You said she, she was 57? 57, 58. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From brain cancer. Her, mm-hmm. she was in, yeah, she was in movies starting in the 30s. Wow. Uh, she was in three films, two, two of them were TV movies, but three films in 19, 1972, including The Revengers. Wait, Revengers, not Avengers? The Revengers. Stars William Holden and Ernest Borgnine. Oh, that's <laughs> Doesn't look hmm. very good. Uh, Doesn't look very good. <laughs> but for her, specifically, this movie had... It did a very good job, most of the time, of letting us see things instead of being told things. Which I really mm-hmm. appreciate. Which we really appreciate, because we've seen a lot of bad movies where they don't do that. I yeah, don't. where they just... have to tell you everything that's going on yeah. about every character. They yep. did tell us that she had red hair, but I appreciated that because this is a black and white film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. whatever. I'm just, and her red, eh. her red Hepcat cat pajamas. Yeah. But most for most of the important beats of the story, mm-hmm. we got to see it rather than it being told to us. Correct. Mm-hmm. There was one time where we got told some, where something happened and then... There was an extended shot of the same words on the screen like 30 seconds later. It was a, a letter. It was a letter say, reiterating what he had just said. What we had just observed. Which I yeah. feel might have had to do with them cutting a middle part. I don't know. I don't know. Either way, that was weird. So it wasn't perfect. But otherwise, I thought that they did a really good job of telling the story and letting yeah. us experience the story instead yeah. of being handed the story on a platter. And in the first five minutes, we knew what her character was about pretty well. Mm -hmm. That she didn't do things the way that society wanted her to, and the people she was with, she could be the person they wanted wanted her to be, and then take charge of the situation Mm -hmm. and turn it to her... Advantage. Yeah. And she would that happen without us, without someone turning to her and going, wow, you're really good at turning the situation to your advantage. And then she looks at the screen and smiles and holds up a can of Coke. And then... <laughs> <laughs> no, that would have been a general electric clock. Yes, which we did see later there were, in the film. There were some situations where she transitioned to, uh, you know, like extremes in anger or sadness or something like that. And it almost seemed too fast of a transition. Yeah. But... Like she didn't have a middle ground and she just had to pick one? Yeah. And it, and that there were a couple times you kind of went... Well, that just seemed like acting. But at the same time, if the character had a reputation for... Turning. Yeah, yeah. sociopathy or something like that. Yeah. There's there's elements of that, that that maybe there's accuracy to it, yeah. actually. And this is something you have to watch out for. And this I don't think this movie was doing it to the extent that you'd have to invoke this. But I've definitely seen things where... If it's if you're doing something poorly for an artistic effect, that doesn't mean it's a good idea. Yeah. Like if she was acting poorly on purpose, sometimes you have to step back and go, "But that makes it bad." And in this case, I don't think it made it bad. Mm-hmm. I, think I think it spoke to her character. Yeah. Right. I think her character was yeah. manic. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to watch out for how many clarifiers you put on top of. 
well, it was bad, but it was a good thing that it was bad. Okay. Uh, in any case, if we're not going to talk too much about the things that happened in here, we could talk about the things that didn't happen, because there were some that were kind of important that got cut. Hmm. Specifically, oh. I, parts of the story that, uh, when they did a rework of the original script, oh, okay. that didn't make it in. Two parts in particular. More of her childhood. All right. And the actual murder. The actual murder? The actual murder was in the original oh, first draft. Sure. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. And in this f- version, it, there's just a newspaper that says, Lady is dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we're talking, you know, they're trying to find the killer. Yeah. Well, I think that's the weak spot about when you ask the question, does she seem like she did it or didn't do it? You can't exactly show there it. Were, there were just too many gaps in the story and the and the... The evidence in yeah. trial that you really can't make that decision as a viewer. Yeah. And where nowadays I think that they would have been more veiled about it. Like if you think about, I mean, CSI does this every week mm-hmm. where someone gets murdered Blunt force trauma. and you never see who did it yeah. because of camera angles and such mm-hmm. until the very end when they suddenly realized that they had another camera pointed at the murderer the whole time. And it took them 45 minutes. <laughs> it took them 45 because, minutes. Of course. But in this day and age, I don't think that was something that necessarily was terribly... Like, I don't know. How did Matlock do it? Well, here's the <laughs> but here, my thought is that this film was not about the murder. No, it was about the right. person. The film was about this, the person and this the woman she got and the in. system and the justice or injustice of the system so therefore they the really didn't need to show us the murder to advance yeah. that and there point. was a part of the movie that at the beginning that did that very well because she went to prison for a year mm-hmm. and yeah. we skipped the entirety of the crime that got her into prison and her year in prison that was up on the screen and that's okay because we don't want to see a court case where someone commits perjury, and we don't want to have like snippets of her time in prison if it's not relevant to the rest of the story. It doesn't advance it. If she meets Chekhov's lady prisoner in the first prison time, who then comes b- and she recognizes her in her second prison time, and that's who betrays her, then maybe that makes sense. But this was just, no, she was in prison. It's right. not interesting. Skip it. It just reinforced her... Her uh, laissez-faire attitude, her, her her patterns of behavior. Yeah, yeah. her edgy behavior. You know, because mm-hmm. then she was she was uh, going against her parole rules mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And so you got a chance. She never to followed see that. rules once. She wasn't a rule follower. No, she really true. wasn't. She was a. I can avoid this problem. When when she thought when she said she was going to settle down, I was positive she was lying. Yeah, I think that's the one thing she didn't lie about in this entire movie. She sort of settled for a little while. Yeah. So. Perhaps if she had chosen a different person as a husband to settle. <laughs> yeah. Well, but this was husband number three. So yeah. then there's that's also a, a history of choosing trouble. Yeah. But in any case, if we're discussing, should she have won Best Actress for this? I certainly think so. I think yeah, so. I think I she think did a very good job. Extraordinary. Yeah. It was a, a very wide range of you know when she was turning you know she could turn on a dime to be the person that this man wanted or that man wanted or this girlfriend wanted her to be like at a party. Yeah. One after another she could 
she could change like that. And I thought that was an interesting way to give us a glimpse into, you know, her multiple yeah. personalities. And even most actors will need, like, okay, hold on, I gotta get into character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to be the different characters almost in the same scene. Sure. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily like, oh, only the top ten actors could possibly do this. Right. But it's not easy. Mm-hmm. Right. right. I can't do it. Yeah. I mean, I probably could if you tried, but yeah, no. people don't usually ask me to be three different people. <laughs> no. Too much. All right, so that's the first one down. Next, first side category of the day, best picture. And on this one, eh. I, what else was up that year? Oh, let me tell you. I was going to say, um, you know. Uh, no. Let me tell you about the 1959 Academy Awards, uh, because there's a little bit of funny that happened during the Academy Awards. There is. There was. Funny ha-ha. Yes. Funny odd. Funny ha-ha. Oh. Uh, The producer started cutting numbers from the show to make sure it ran on time. He cut too much, and it ended 20 minutes early, leaving Jerry Lewis to attempt to fill time. (laughs) Eventually, it cut to a rerun of sports. (laughs) Oh, dear. So, yes, actually funny ha-ha. Had nothing to do with the films, but okay. The film Gigi. Won oh, nine geez. Oscars. Oh my wow. goodness. Breaking the previous record of eight, set by Gone with the Wind, and tied by two other movies we've watched. on From oh. Here to Eternity and On, on the, the Waterfront. Front. It would be short-lived. I know, because... Spoilers for next time. <laughs> Spoilers for next week. It's a secret. We have all kinds of stuff to talk about next week. Uh, more Oscars trivia. Gigi was the last film until The Last Emperor in 1987 to win Best Picture without acting nominations. Ooh. They won nine Academy Awards without any for acting. Wow. The costumes were gorgeous. They also had the biggest clean sweep at the time because they were nominated for nine categories. Oh, oh, and one. This nom- record would not be broken until 2003. Wow. That's not Titanic. Titanic no, Titanic was earlier than that. Avatar? Nope, Avatar was later than that. Okay, I've sandwiched it. Come on, people, help me out. Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, with Ooh. 11. Wow. All 11 of their nominations, they won in 2003. Wow. So we'll probably get to that. We'll probably get to that. a couple of months. <laughs> Give us some time. This is going to take us a while. Right. I, also, fun fact, the host. it was hosted not just by Jerry Lewis, but also uh, various people. I don't know how many of these names you'll know, old people. Okay, I'm going to raise my hand. Don't call me a boomer, people. Mort Saul, Tony Randall, Bob yeah. Hope, you almost yeah. certainly know. Tony Randall and Bob David Hope. Niven. Yeah. And of course, you would know Lawrence Olivier. Niven won Best Actor, making him the only host to also win an award on the same night. <laughs> so Best Picture was Gigi, yeah. Auntie, Ma- Auntie Ma- Mamie, Mame, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Yeah. The Defiant Ones and Separate Tables. I do not know all of those. Mm-hmm. I've heard of Gigi. Cat and Hot Tin Roof. Cat and Hot Tin Roof. I've also heard of that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also won Best Director. Huh. Uh, but yeah, this this movie was nominated... It, this movie, I Want to Live, was nominated in several categories, uh, including Best Screenplay. It was nominated. Uh, as was Alec Guinness. Okay. He, he wrote uh, The Horse's Mouth. Well, there you go. Uh, anyways, so Best Picture... Eh. Uh, I don't know. It would be best. No. It was doing interesting things, but it wasn't like... But those... the What would you call the camera angle thing? Ah, yes. We get to talk about Dutch angles, finally. 
Uh, a, a concept I heard from watching uh, internet uh, video people talk about their processes uh -huh. and how they don't like Dutch angles, and neither do I, mm -hmm. because it's weird. A Dutch angle is... I thought it was just a, an Instagram photo technique. It <laughs> is a... According, the Wikipedia official definition, a type of camera shot which involves setting the camera at an angle on its roll axis. So if you're holding your phone vertically... Stop it. Hold it horizontally. Good. Now you're holding your phone horizontally. Tilt it like... Ever so slightly. 30 to 45 degrees. Yeah. So the shot is composed with vertical lines at an angle to the side of the frame, or so the horizon line of the shot is not parallel with the bottom of the camera frame. This produces a viewpoint akin to tilting one's head to the side. Which in, gives you a headache. In cinematography, it is one of many techniques often used to portray psychological uneasiness or tension in the subject being filmed. Which is interesting, because how they used it doesn't really have either of those. No, and it was only at the very beginning. I think it was beginning. only when it was supposed to be a drug-induced haze at a jazz club. Yes. Now, those and nowadays, you, the camera would be wiggling and moving around and so they'd your put stomach on, like, would hurt. And they'd put on blur filters and something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or, uh, actually, what you would do, if you want to go real deep on mm -hmm. drug stuff, you, uh, put a, you attach the camera to the chest so that it follows the head around. And then you put a fisheye lens filter on it. Oh, uh, great. And have a really low depth of field so that the person's head is big in the middle and it stays in the middle and it's slightly distorted and everything behind them is blurry. That's how you do it. That just sounds creepy. Yes. <laughs> it would work. It would work. <laughs> okay. Uh, those of you paying attention would ask the question, well, why is it called a Dutch angle? And the answer is because America's stupid. <laughs> it's like no, Pennsylvania Dutch. No, that's not a political statement. It's just... It's in this case American English. It's a fact. Yeah. It's because uh, in the First World War, navy blockades made import and export of movies impossible, and so uh, filmmakers in Europe were being very expressionist and very mad at the war, and Germans specifically, which started the Dadaist expressionist strange movement, which I've actually looked into a bit, mm -hmm. and they used. A, this type of camera shot extensively, thus making it Deutsch, Deutsch angles. Mm -hmm. And America went, cool, so you're from the Netherlands. And they went, no, we are Deutsch. You're like, yeah, you're Dutch. And no, thus, it's, no, it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with the Netherlands. No, it's just I like know. people yeah, I know. in Pennsylvania that are, their ancestors are from Germany, but they're called Pennsylvania Dutch. They're yeah. not Dutch, they're Deutsch. They're Deutsch. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's called the Dutch Angle, is because mm -hmm. it's Deutsch. For those who don't understand, Deutsch is German for German. Yes. In any case, that's what was going on with the cinematography at the start of the Only film. Only at the beginning of the film. Only at the beginning. Only and during the Hepcat crazy parties. They were smoking weed in this movie. I think so. They were smoking well, weed. Well, and they were not smoking so. cigarettes. Yeah. They were smoking Cinematography weed. is on our list of things to talk about, so this is important. It is important. I think overall, this film did not do anything terribly interesting with its film. No. This was competently filmed. Yeah. Right. And there were definitely... They did interesting ideas with transitions, like going from one thing to another, and they would hard cut. Right. Sometimes. Mm -hmm. However, the film editing of it could take some work. Uh, there's a scene where a guy has a... How's the cards stay ending up? Oh, and we sat on... And it knocks it down, and then they have, what, 10 seconds? We sat oh, on yeah. that shot a long time. And we then well, the problem with that... Had to finish that, the song. Yeah, the, and the problem <laughs> with that is that the hard cut transition 
was not to a visually similar thing. Yeah. It was, it was to a very, very different. different thing, which made it extra jarring. Mm-hmm. And at that point in the movie, I don't think we were looking for jarring. Yeah. It definitely played with our emotions too much. Yeah, there were some places where it just went from a, a scene to black. Yeah. And you kind of look around and go, what? What's going on there? <laughs> why, why did they do that? Yeah. So, so cinematography-wise, I definitely don't... I, I don't wouldn't think, give it an award I would that. not give this one. Let me check and see if it was nominated for cinematography. It almost certainly was because it was a good movie, and so they just started handing out awards. Uh, best cinematography, black and white. It was The Defiant Ones won instead. I think I've heard of that one. Almost certainly worth it. And the last one, best special effects. There were two movies nominated this year, and this one was not one of them. And I don't blame them because there were no special effects in this movie, except for a loud phone. That phone was loud. Yeah, but then it would get it for uh, sound editing, not special effects. Like this one, we're looking very specifically for doing interesting things. Uh, The one that won is uh, Tom Thumb. Well, he was small. In which I believe, based on the... uh, So it's partially animated, partially not, and just based on the movie poster, I believe part of the special effects are a tiny person. Yes. Right. So... Well, how to juxtapose that with other uh, regular filming techniques. Yeah. So... All in all, this one, nominated for several things, definitely should have won for Best Actress. I think it's fine that it didn't win for anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Last fun fact about the film is the appearance of George Putnam, who, when I I told you to look out for a guy that sounded like the news, when he showed up, you said, he sounds like the news. He's on the the TV. Uh, He was born in Breckenridge, Minnesota which is mostly our neck of the woods. It's in our state, but I don't believe Breckenridge is near our neck of the woods. I don't think so. Uh, he started his radio career on his 20th birthday at WDGY in Minneapolis. What? In 1934. He then continued to Washington, D.C., and then New York. Uh, at one time or another, he anchored all four of L.A.'s major independent stations. Wow. Uh, he started working in L.A. in 1951. Uh, various other things here. Uh, he's been awarded with three Emmys for his work f- with television, mm-hmm. as well as a star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. The late Ted Knight stated that Putnam served in part as a model for the Ted Baxter character on mm. the Mary Tyler Moore Show. Perfect. Uh, he huh. participated in the Rose Parade from 1951 until 2000. Holy moly. When his ho- because wow. he rode in the event on his horse until his horse died. Oh. And at that time he oh. was too old to train another parade horse. Oh. I uh, he I uh, died in his working ranch which housed his 65 racehorses which competed in the Kentucky Derby and all the racetracks in Southern California. Wow. I uh, the he's had a cameo role in at least 3 films. This is one of them. The other two are 14 Hours from 1951 yeah. and a okay. small film from 1996. Dad, do you know what film that I am mockingly calling small happened in 1996? 1996? Came out on July 4th, I think. Independence Day? It was Independence Day. But what was... He plays a news guy in Independence Day. Wow, I can't remember that. <laughs> he plays himself as a news guy, basically, in Independence Day. 
I and here's the quote at the end of his about him on Wikipedia which I will read and then give you the context some people didn't like what he said some people liked what he said but everybody listened to George Putnam that is why he has been one of the most influential commentators of our times this was given during a roast in 1984 on his 50th anniversary in broadcasting by Richard Nixon huh hmm huh well, I did have to look up Breckenridge, Minnesota, because I have been through Breckenridge. Yeah. Breckenridge is on the Minnesota side, and Wapiton, North Dakota, is on the other side. Yeah. So it's up in the northwest. It's, it's, it, so it's northwest. just south of Fargo. Yep. Yep. So our state, but not necessarily our neck of the woods. No, 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 no. It's, yeah. He's not super important in this film, but it was interesting that he was there. He died in 2008. Wow. He was 94. Well. So, yikes. And that's about all of the uh, Wikipedia pages I've opened. (laughs) Anybody got anything else? Uh, I have. The only thing I have is the sign-off. All right. Are we ready? Yeah. Yeah. We want to thank the Academy for doing its job and thereby pointing us in the direction of quality filmmaking. All right. See you next time. Bye. All right.